Amen. Amen. I wonder if we could turn uh, in our Bibles, please, to the um, book of uh, Titus and to the third chapter. And we'll read down through the chapter again. Titus chapter 3, and beginning our reading at the first verse of the chapter. Titus chapter 3, and beginning our reading at verse 1. Put them in uh, mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Saviour toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Saviour, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will, that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. But avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. A man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition reject, knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth, being condemned of himself. When I shall send Artemis unto thee, or Tychicus, be diligent to come unto me to Nicopolis, for I have determined there to winter. Bring Zenith the lawyer and Apollos on their journey diligently, that nothing be wanting unto them. And let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses, that they be not unfruitful. All that are with thee salute thee, Greet them that love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. We know the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his precious word to all of our hearts. We're looking at the last um, four verses there of the portion of Scripture tonight. We're coming to the conclusion of our study in the book of Titus. We have been looking at this uh, a number of months now, and we've gotten uh, through the book of Titus, we've gotten to know something about the book and the lessons, the mighty lessons that this book contains. And here we have the verses that draw this small yet potent letter to a close. Now, at first glance, the, the words here at the end of Titus 3 are simply a sign-off, the way that you'd sign off a letter. He gives some practical instruction to Titus, uh, and uh, they don't seem the words really to have that much implication for us 2,000 years later. He mentions people like Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos, and we don't know anything about Zenos apart from what we have here recorded for us. We know a little bit about Apollos 
but there are uh, nothing really that we know about Zenos. And uh, we think of how there are about 85 people that are mentioned by Paul in his letters. And uh, many of them are like Zenos that we don't know very much about. But we don't discard what the Bible says. We know that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for instruction and for, for reproof and for instruction in righteousness. And we thank God tonight for the precious Word of God and we take it all seriously. And while there may be just practical instruction here in the last uh, verses of this portion of Scripture, we can learn about the practicalities of the ministry. You see, the practicalities of the ministry are as important as perhaps the preaching of the ministry. Well, the preaching is primary. We have to preach the Word. We have to go out and reach others with the message of the gospel. But sometimes we despise the practicalities, the day-by-day -day things, the laborious things that need to be done. And sometimes we can be even resentful of the little practical matters and the incidental things. We're so fixed on the major things and the preaching of the word and the going out and reaching others for Christ that we sort of dismiss the um, uh, going out and booking preachers or seeking to get uh, goods in so that we are supplied, getting the tea made, getting the heating on, getting the uh, books done or whatever it is. All of those things that have to, the administrative tasks that have to be done. Well, they're as vital as uh, the uh, other things that need to be done. And I want you to see that as we look at these verses, we will learn something about the practicalities of the ministry. And uh, we want to understand Paul's final words to Titus here. And we want to understand something of the nature of the ministry. And in this um, salutation here, as he signs off this final greeting, I want you to see that there are three vital truths about the nature of the ministry that we can see in these words. And first of all, I want you to see the importance of practical planning in the work. Now, you notice that Paul is giving instruction here about the practical day-by-day -day running of the work. And notice what he says in verse 12. He says, When I shall send Artemis unto thee, or Tychicus, be diligent to come unto me to Nicopolis, for I have determined there to winter. Winter's approaching. The time of travel is coming to an end. It's becoming dangerous to go out in the seas in the winter time in the Mediterranean Sea. And so he's saying to Titus, make sure you uh, make provision to come to me before the winter sets in, before the storms begin to grow. I want you to come and meet with me in Nicopolis, and we will overwinter in Nicopolis, and we will um, look after the work of God from Nicopolis. And you notice the phrase there, be diligent. It's a command. It's a, something that he gives with urgency. And he says, come. I, I, I have a job for you to do. 
There is something that needs to be done, and you need to come to Nicopolis to overwinter with me, and you need to be assiduous in making sure that you get to be with me in Nicopolis over the winter. And I want you to see that there is planning here. You'll notice that he says, Take, or, uh, Titus, come to me in Nicopolis. But then I want you to see what he does. He says, when Tychicus or Artemis comes to you. Now, what's he doing? He's supplying the pulpit in, in Crete. He knows that the uh, congregation there in Crete cannot be left on their own. They are young. He, he has spoken a lot in this portion of Scripture about the deficiencies of the Christians there in Crete. They had uh, so much of the wicked culture still imbibed. They had to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Crete was a wicked place, and even the Christians there, they were young in the faith. They had so many of the uh, things of Crete still were uh, displayed in their lives. And so Paul knew that this pulpit couldn't be left vacant for too long. So he has planned that either Artemis or Tychicus are going to be there, are going to go. And when Artemis or Tychicus comes, he says, that's when you leave, Titus. Don't leave until Artemis or uh, um, uh, Tychicus come. When they come, then you leave. And he's, he's anxious about the practical thing of the filling of the pulpit. And we see here, here he is, and he is looking after the administrative part of the uh, work. And there's planning here in the work of God. Paul's like the master chess player. He wants to get all the pieces right. He wants uh, Titus to come, but he wants to make sure that the mundane thing, uh, uh, if we call it that, of the filling of the pulpit is taken care of. And, you know, we think about the mundane things, just the administrative things, making sure that there's a preacher in the pulpit, making sure that things are running smoothly, that the lights are on, that the bill is paid, all of those things that need to be done. I was talking to one of our ministers not that very long ago, and he had been involved, he told me, that week some of the computers in the church had been given bother, and he had been running around trying to get these computers fixed. And he says it had taken him all week. Uh, he had run into difficulties, and he said he felt as if he had wasted his week because he was running around trying to get computers fixed. Well, uh, I know what he meant by the fact that he thought he'd wasted his week because I felt the same thing many a time. But you know those things, the, the very practical things, making sure that everything's running smoothly, th that's not a waste of time. That, that is something that needs to be done. And you, for making the tea, turning on the heat, opening the doors, making sure that there's somebody there to greet the people. All of those things, we may count them as being mundane, and yet they are important in the work of God. But not only is there the planning of the supply of the pulpit, there's the planning of a strategy for mission. Now, Paul says to uh, Titus, come unto me to Nicopolis. 
Why did he want him to go to Nicopolis? Why did uh, Paul want Titus to leave uh, Crete and come to Nicopolis? Well, we are going to speculate a little bit here, but the city of Nicopolis was away out in the west. It, it, it was, it was um, a town that was found. It was, the name means victory city, and it was founded by Augustus Caesar after his victory over Antony at the Battle of Actium. And it was located on the western coast of Greece. And it seems as if Paul was moving west. He was he is as far west in Greece as he could go. And it looks as if he is planning to go further west. And it looks as if he is wanting Titus to be with him to plan missionary trips. Perhaps he is looking to go to Spain or go further west, and he wants to plan the missionary trip. He wants to plan out what's going to happen in the next phase of the ministry. And you can see that there is planning taking place here. And then there's another reason. One of the commentators uh, speculates like this. Towner, he suggests, in his assessment of the circumstances, he says, Decapolis was a busy port town on the western coast of Greece. It was actually known for its harsh winters. Many travelers from all parts would have been forced to spend the winter there so that Paul could continue his ministry despite the impossibility of travel. So what he said is that Paul knew that Nicopolis was a place where many, because you couldn't get out of Nicopolis, Everybody that came to Nicopolis was trapped there. He had a captive audience, in other words. He had many people who would be there over the winter, and he wasn't able to travel. He wasn't able to go to different towns to preach the gospel, but he felt that Nicopolis was the best place where he would have a captive audience, where he would have a good number of people, and he would be able to carry on the ministry there in Nicopolis because there was this captive audience over the uh, winter time. And you can see Paul's concern for the preaching of the gospel. And he had a plan and he had a purpose. And you know we need a plan. We need a purpose in the work of God. We need to uh, have plans for the future, for the propagation of the gospel, that the word of God would go for forward. We need a plan for the future ministry. And the uh, ministry is always mission-oriented. We uh, are always seeking to go out and to make sure that we have a strategy, that we have a plan to reach as many people as we can with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And surely that's what Paul was doing here. He was seeking to get as many people as he possibly could under the sound of the gospel. And here he is, uh, and he has a mission in mind. He has a plan in mind to go out with the gospel of the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So he has a plan to supply the pulpit, and he has a strategy for the mission. And then he is planning for the support worker. And we're speculating a little again, but sh surely one of the things that Paul was thinking of 
when he was inviting Titus to be with him in Nicopolis was to, ha- to encourage Titus, to uh, help Titus. Titus, as we have said throughout the epistle here, was in a very hard place. He was in a very difficult place of ministry. The, the people um, were in many ways uh, carnal in what they were doing. They, were, uh, they had to be weaned away from the kind of attitudes of the, uh, their fellow Christians. And so it was a hard and a difficult station that Titus had. And surely Paul is bringing them to be with him in order to encourage him to lift him up, to be uh, his support. It wasn't easy. And Paul wanted to encourage Titus along the way. And how we need to think about that. We need to encourage the workers in God's harvest field. You remember how the Lord Jesus said to his disciples one time after they'd been out laboring and preaching the gospel and uh, seeking to advance the kingdom of God, He said to them immediately, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. And there is a place for rest in the work of God. There is a place certainly for encouragement in the work of God. I remember a minister one time who never took holidays. And he he said that the devil didn't take holidays. And he wouldn't take a holiday. Well, at the end of his ministry, he broke down. And um, I I think it was the build-up of all the stress of not taking a break. The Lord knows our frame, and there is provision for drawing aside and taking a rest and getting our head shired, as it were. And uh, we uh, need to have that. And not not only those... But in, in the, the full-time ministry, if we call it, but Sunday school teachers and children's workers and all who labor, we, we need a break at time. And the Lord looks after the welfare of his workers as well as everything else. So we notice here uh, these vital truths of the work. Uh, there is planning of the work of God. But secondly, I want you to see the practical pattern in the work of God. Paul is revealing to Titus here practical truths about the ministry, and he wants uh, Titus to be a pattern in the work of God, an example in the work of God. Look at verses 13 and 14. He says, "'Bring Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their journey diligently.'" that nothing be wanting unto them, and let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses, that they be not unfruitful. Now you notice again, Zenos and Apollos, uh, that nothing be wanting unto them. They, they, they look after, they, he wants to look after the workers. Not only is he looking after Titus, but he's looking after Apollos and Zenos as well. Now, the first thing that I want you to notice here as we look at the practical pattern of the work. He wants Titus to be a pattern. But I want you to see Paul's play on words. We noticed this the last time, how Paul plays on words. Look at the word diligently. Uh, Just as Titus 
was to be diligent to come to Nicopolis in verse 12. So he wants the people to be diligent in looking after the workers. And you can see that they're providing hospitality here. And there is this clever play on words. And then there's another play on words. You'll see that Paul sends a replacement to Titus. And then he says, When I shall send Artemis unto thee, or Tychicus, uh, and he wants to send them to Titus, but then he wants Titus to send the workers on their way. So there, there is this play on words, and we should always look at those play on words. But I want you to see that uh, Paul wants Titus uh, to use the opportunity to show himself a pattern of good works. And we're back to good works again. The, the whole thought of this epistle is that these Crete, uh, the, the uh, Christians in Crete should be practical. Not only are they going to have doctrine, but that doctrine is going to be shown in their lives. And he says in the first verse there of chapter 3, they're to be ready to every good works. Good, good work. They're to demonstrate their Christianity in what they do. The whole letter has the single th th uh, thrust that the uh, Cretans are not only to be sound in their faith, but they are to be practical in their faith. And here Paul suggests a very practical way in which this good works can be demonstrated in hospitality, in showing hospitality to Zenus the lawyer and Apollos, whichever one of them would arrive. And you'll notice that he um, wants this practicality to be seen. Now, he suggests this hospitality. And hospitality in the Bible, we, we think of um, hospitality, uh, the word hospital is related to it, or uh, the hospitality industry and hotels and so on. And it suggests providing a bed or providing uh, food, uh, providing hospitality. But hospitality in the Bible, or for Christians, is more than providing a bed and food. Somebody can provide a bed and food and not be hospitable in the Bible's thought. Because two, providing a bed and providing food must be added love. We do it out of love. We do it out of a full heart. And you'll notice the fullness of the hospitality. Notice the phrase that is used here in this portion of Scripture. He says in the verse, So that nothing be wanting unto them. And the same wording is used in chapter 1, verse 5, the key verse of the epistle. Uh, it speaks about setting in order the things that are wanting. So Titus here mean, uh, is to uh, fully furnish these men so that nothing is wanting, so that everything is provided that needs to be provided. He's to feed them, to clothe them, to encourage them, to equip them, send them off, and he has to show them love. In the midst of that, the word hospitality is found in the Bible four times. It's found in Romans 12 and 13, 
1 Timothy 5.10, Hebrews 13.2, and 1 Peter 4 and 9. And to summarize all of those portions, the hospitality is spoken of there is showing affection, showing love to the stranger. So we see the practice here. This is what Titus is to demonstrate. He's to show this love, this hospitality in the way that he treats Apollos or Zenus, whichever one of them it is. We don't know much about Zenus here. We do know something about Apollos. And we know that, um, or uh, sorry, Artemis and Tychicus here, the two that are uh, 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 mentioned earlier in the portion of Scripture. And we think of these men who came and how they are to be provided for. And uh, uh, the Titus here is to show this hospitality. But not only have we the picture, he's to show this picture of hospitality, but then look at the practice. Look at uh, verse 14. Uh, he says, and let ours also, uh, when he says ours there, it means our people, the, the uh, people in Crete. And let our people also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses that they be not unfruitful. And he says the, the uh, people in Crete will learn. He, they, there's an imperative here. Let ours also learn. This is actually a command. They, he commands them to learn. The word learn there is a word that is re related to disciple. It is a, a learner, an apprentice. They are to be apprentices in learning how to do good works, how to show hospitality in doing that which is good to others. And that is something that we are to learn as well. But look at the purpose. Look at the end of verse 14, that they be not unfruitful. You know, we think of uh, what it says in John 15, how that the Lord is the vine and we are the branches. And he says, any branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. God's people are to be a fruitful people. We are to show fruit. You think of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith, temperance. All of these things we are to show. We are to demonstrate. They are to be something uh, that we uh, demonstrate. We're not saved by good works, but we are certainly to show those good works. We think of James didn't speak in hyperbole uh, when he said, even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. John didn't exaggerate when he said in 1 John 2 and 9, he that saith he's in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. Or you think of what our Lord said, if ye love me, keep my commandments. And good works, godly works, uh, they don't produce saving faith, but certainly those that are born again of the Spirit of God are not going to be unfruitful. And I hope that we can see the fruit in our own lives and in our own hearts. But there's another vital truth about the ministry here, the third vital truth, and that is practical pleasantness. 
in the work. Look at verse 15. All that are with me salute thee. Greet them that love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. And you can see there, it is a pleasantry. It is just a way of signing off the letter. But I want you to see that the thought of greeting there is repeated. All that are with me salute thee. And that's an encouragement there. He uses the word uh, as an encouragement. And then he says, greet them that love us in the faith. And that's a command. So there is a greeting that's an encouragement. And there's a greeting that is a command here. There is two uh, things. Now, he says, all that are with me salute thee. Now, the word thee, as we can see from our authorized version, is singular. He means Titus. All that are with me salute thee. So there is this greeting to the man of God here, and they're encouraging the man of God in the ministry. He has been talking about encouraging Zenos uh, or Apollos on their journey as they travel, and now he is showing this practically. He's encouraging Titus here by his greeting and uh, with the greeting. There's a practical pleasantness. And we need to be friendly with one another. And we need to show that friendliness. And we need to build one another up in our most holy faith. That's part of the work of God. So there is that encouragement to Titus. But then Paul's second greeting, where he says, Greet them that love us in the faith. That is a command. And why we ask the question, why did Paul not say, greet the brethren? Why did he not say that, or just greet those that are there with you? What is it he says, greet them that love us in the faith? So why does Paul put it like that? Well, the answer really lies back in chapter 1, verses 10 to 16, in chapter 3, verses 9 to 11, there were those who did not love Paul in the faith. There were those who were unruly and seeking to subvert the work of God. Paul spoke of them as vain talkers and deceivers. And while it might seem to be harsh, Paul doesn't want Titus to greet them. These are those who have... Um, uh, who he describes as heretic in verse 10 of chapter 3, a heretic after the first and second admonition, reject. And if he wants these people to be rejected, he is not going to greet them. He's not going to send them uh, well wishes. He's not going to send them greetings. Now, we might look upon that as harsh, but I want you to see that that is what the Word of God has to say. He, uh, he, he is obviously, he says, greet them that love us in the faith. Not greet everybody is there, but those that love us in the faith. And he, he, he only wanted uh, to greet Titus at the start there. But Paul isn't going to treat those that are unruly and those that are walking uh, uh, away from the things of God 
and those that are uh, subverting the faith, he doesn't treat that lightly. We, we are told here that we are to, uh, we are to um, reject those that subvert the faith. And therefore, we don't greet them. We don't count them as friends. We are not, not the friendly, friendly to them the same way. Uh, we can't just continue to speak to them on the same friendly basis because they're subverting the faith. And that might seem to be harsh, but that's what the Word of God has to say. Look at the closing remark. And uh, Paul is giving Titus the opportunity to be a, an example in obedience. He says there to reject the um, heretical man after the first and second warning. And while he is rejecting, I want you to see that at the same time, he wants God's people to love one another. And there are those two things. There's the rejection of false teaching. There, there is that not being friendly with those that are undermining the truth of God. But then he says, greet them that love us in the faith. Greet them that love us in the faith. But we are to greet those that love the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to be in fellowship one with another. Paul's familiar words at the end are, grace be with you all. And he does want grace to be with them all. He does want God's grace to be bestowed upon them. The very heart of what we preach is the grace of God. But oh, how we need in these days to be fruitful in every good work. We need to be those that do what we can for the Lord Jesus Christ. The final you there where he says, greet Grace be with you all. That is plural. All the believing creation community must know and understand that they live by grace. All that is possible is possible by the grace of God. And we do rejoice in the note in which the epistle closes. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt, yonder on Calvary's cross outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilt. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse our sins. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sins. And may we rejoice and stand in his grace in these days for his name's sake. Let's seek the face of God then and let's cry unto the Lord for his mercy. Do remember the meetings as they continue. Pray for God to meet with us and bless us in abundance and pray for those that have been bereaved, um, as I mentioned there, uh, the Reverend David Gordon's wife passed away. Um, 
either earlier this morning or late last night, but we uh, do remember the Reverend Gordon and then also our sister Gillian Middleton. Her sister passed away, so we remember her in prayer as well. And as the Lord leads, let's uh, seek the help and the blessing of Almighty God. Let's just unite together, please, in prayer. Our loving God and our gracious Father in heaven, we do thank Thee for the opportunity of coming to Thee in our Saviour's name. And we thank Thee, Lord, for the fact that even in the midst of the routine and monotonous parts of the ministry, that there is a purpose to fulfill. And Lord, even though the, uh, what we do for Thee may be counted to be small and may be counted to be uh, something that is uh, just uh, the, the very littlest thing in the work of God. Yet, Lord, we thank that it's valuable. And we do think of Paul here uh, planning for the work and seeking to advance the work and taking care of the uh, practical uh, hospitality for the workers and for Titus to encourage him and lift him up and our God, we uh, do are involved in these things day by day. And Lord, sometimes we wonder uh, about whether we are in the heart of the work of God. And yet, Lord, we do see tonight that these things are right in the very heart of the work of God. And we do thank Thee for everything that we can do for Thee as we seek to advance the kingdom of God in this day and generation. And we pray, Lord, that thou wouldst be with us and that thou wouldst bless us tonight as we wait upon thee. We do remember the, uh, the meetings on the Lord's day. Continue to work and bless. Continue, Lord, to direct. Give us words from thyself. Give us help. Bless the children as they take part on uh, the Lord's day. And our sister Catherine, too, as she takes part as we seek to get a message for the occasion. We pray that thou wouldst direct our thoughts, and we pray that we might know the touch and blessing of God poured out upon us, even in an abundant way. Be with us now, we pray of thee. Remember the bereaved, draw near to them, and encourage them, and lift them up, and we bring them before thee at the throne of heavenly grace. Bless us now, we had asked of thee, for it's in Jesus' precious name, and we'd ask these things. Amen.